Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So once again, it's that time of year where Christmas is approaching. Looks good in here, doesn't it? Yeah, let's, let's clap for that. I think they did a good job decorating it. It's just a lot of wreaths, isn't it? A lot of green. It, lo- it just looks beautiful. So it's that time of year, and I need some participation this morning. Okay, so even if you're one of those types, and I know you're here, and it's okay, who don't like to participate, I need your participation, or the sermon's not going to work at all. Do you want the sermon not to work at all? All right, it's on you. I know. That's how important this is. So here's what I want from you, and I want to help us and help your family out. On the count of three, okay? On the count of three, I want you to tell me what you want for Christmas. Okay, can we do this? Everybody at the same time, out loud, just tell me what you want. Ready? One, two, three. Anybody hear what Jessica wanted? (laughs) Rachel, what did Jessica say? You missed it? Come on, the whole sermon was set up for that. I'm having trouble trying to figure out what Jessica wants. Okay, all right, so, okay, so thank you for participating. All right, now that we got what everybody wants, I have another one for you. Let's do it again, but this time on the count of three, Tell everybody out loud what you need for Christmas. Not what you want, but what you need. Ready? One, two, three. So how many of you said the exact same thing? Yeah, I know you did. We get that confused all the time, don't you? Let me give you a peek into my life. You see, I quite often get my wants and needs mixed up. How about you? Yeah? And so... Well, I really know what it is. Don't tell Jessica this, but I like to mask that I don't know the difference, right? And so she usually doesn't bother me too much when I get into my hobbies and I start talking about things that I need or things that I want because she knows that once something gets on my mind, I'm not going to let it go. And she'd rather me just go ahead and get it out of the way than to talk about it all the time to justify why I absolutely need this certain thing. Y'all ever done something like that? Well, here's the more important question. Has your spouse caught on to you yet? Has your parents caught on to the fact that you do this? Right, mine definitely has. Now, she generally lets me get away with it, probably because I can be, you know, responsible. However, sometimes she decides to call me out on it. And when I start justifying things and I get to the point that I start setting up that, babe, I need this for when the next alien invasion happens. Like when I get that far in, in my needs and justifying it, I generally go, okay, I need to just let this one go. But see, here recently, it's worked a little bit better because now I say, well, babe, I need that just like you need that new dress you're going to get this weekend. (laughs) Y'all ever try something like that? It works. Tommy, try it out. It works. Every time you just say it, it works. She's like, oh, you need that. I need that. And it just works out good. All right. Now, here's what we know. And here's what I just wanted to talk about. We generally know, and I know, and I don't like, I pretend I don't know, but we know the difference between our wants and our needs. They're not the same thing. And although I like to argue about it quite often, generally I know a want and a need is very different. But here's the truth, and let's just agree about this. What we want isn't always what we need. Isn't that true? What we want isn't always what we need. We want that ice cream, but we never actually need it, do we? 
And the crazy thing about humans is what we want isn't always what we need. The reverse is true. What we need isn't always what we want. Isn't that weird? Aren't we are weird creatures if you think about it? What we need isn't what we want. We need that salad. Oh, we'll get there. Yep. We need that salad, but if cheesesteaks on the menu, how many of you still want that salad? How many want the salad? I mean, need salad. I'm confusing myself. Okay. Who raised their hand? Come on, Cindy. Give us a break. Rest of us want the cheesesteak, right? You need the salad, but when anything other than a salad's on the menu, you want that instead, don't you? At least I do. Right? We never can justify stuff like that, but yet that's what we want. And so here's what we need to agree about. What we want isn't always what we need, and what we need isn't always what we want. Do we agree about that? Yeah, good. Now that we're on the same page, let's think about this a little bit more. What is it that God needs? Have you thought about that? Isn't it interesting? And if you didn't know, I'm glad you're here today, that God needs absolutely nothing. God needs nothing. Everything is already his. You may say, wait, 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 wait. Brian, I give. I pop a $5 bill in that offering plate every time it goes by. I don't do it anymore because the offering plate doesn't go by. Don't, hey, just to let you know we have boxes on your way out. You can still drop it in there if you weren't familiar with those. You say, well, Brian, I, I give. God needs that. But no, 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 no. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money at all. You giving back to God's just like my kids buying me a Christmas present with my own money. Because it's all his anyways, isn't it? I mean, I'm not above. I don't get more when I give my kids money to buy me. So it was already mine. And that's the same thing when we think about giving back to God and our resources to God. He doesn't need our things. It's already his to begin with. So what does God need? Nothing. But what does God want? Now that's interesting, isn't it? What does God want? Because there we could list all sorts of different things. What do you think's on God's wish list? You see, that's what this sermon series is all about. We're talking about God's wish list. Four weeks we're going to talk about things that he wants, things that he desires. And here's what's interesting about this is what God wants is what you need. The things that God wants for you is what you need. That's the amazing thing about God is God doesn't need anything from you, but he wants something for you. And I'm going to repeat that, and I'm going to repeat that, and I'm going to repeat that. Because once we grab hold of that, it can radically change our faith. Understanding that God needs absolutely nothing from us. But God wants something for us. And what he wants for us, we will find we desperately need. You see, as I told you before, I grew up thinking that God was pretty much a cosmic killjoy. I really did. I grew up thinking everything he wanted me to do, I didn't want to do. And everything he told me I wasn't allowed to do, I wanted to do it. Anybody else grow, like, grow up like that? Y'all aren't being honest in church today, okay? We all think that at first because I hadn't come to grips with the reality of the sneakiness of sin. I'd learn the hard way. From experience, I learned that God really is for me. Even with the stuff I don't understand, even with the things that I don't like, I've learned that God is 
for me. God does want me to an experience. He wants me to experience an amazing life in Jesus Christ. And I had to learn the hard way, the reality of my sin and the consequences of my sin. And I don't want you to experience that. And I promise you, God doesn't want you to experience it either. And when we believe that God is for us, it will radically change the way you view stepping out on faith and living for him. So today, we're going to talk about the fact that God wants you to, an ex- to experience an abundant life in Jesus Christ. He wants you to experience a prosperous, satisfying, fulfilled life. Did you know that God actually wants that for you? He tells us that. We're going to look at it today. Jesus is going to teach us what that means. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to John chapter 10. If not, it'll be back here on the screen. You can just follow along. But we're going to jump right into the middle of a situation, and here's what's going on. Jesus has been going around being the Messiah and doing the Messiah type of things, and people are having a very hard time with Jesus, especially the religious elite. They're having a very hard time with what Jesus is doing because they expected him to be very different. Jesus isn't doing the things that they wanted him to do. And what happens when somebody doesn't live up to your expectations? Let's be honest. Do we lean in and go, wow, this is different. Let me learn. Let me get encouraged. Let me look at this from another point of view. We've got to be awful grown up to do that, don't we? What do we usually do? We talk bad about them. We start saying, well, they don't know what they're doing. Must be from Satan. That's the kind of stuff they did from Jesus. They started just causing all sorts of trouble for him. They reject him. And in John chapter 9, we see Jesus heal a man who was born blind. Born blind. And they reversed it. The, the religious leaders, people said, well, Jesus healed this guy, but, you know, for one, Jesus probably didn't do it. And if he did do it, he must, you know, have the power of Satan or something like that. What happens is they somehow try to make what Jesus was doing, this good thing of healing a man born blind, they turned it into a negative thing. Or at least they tried. But the people around were going, well, I don't know if I can buy that. Like, he's healing blind people, folks. Like, it's really hard to chew on that. This is a bad thing. Like, I hear what you're saying, but I also see what's happening. Hey, get the blind part, see what's happening. I just made that up. That was pretty good. Look, I see what's going on. I see the fruit. I see that this man was born blind, and now he's not. So you're saying this is a bad thing, but I just don't see it. And so that's what's going on into this scene. We're seeing people ask, who is Jesus? What can we expect from Jesus? And what does Jesus want from us? In John chapter 10, he's going to explain it. Now, look, I'm going to be honest with you. There's so many things we could talk about in this. We could spend an entire series just on this story. But we're going to limit it just for our purposes today to look at these things that Jesus wants for us. This is a standard three-point message for those of you who are used to those. First up, I want you to see that Jesus wants an intimate relationship with you. Okay, pretty basic. Jesus wants an intimate relationship with you. Look at what he says. John 10, we're going to look at 1 through 5. It says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. You see, the image 
of a shepherd is extremely important for a biblical leader. In fact, the Old Testament tells us that God is the true shepherd of Israel. Look what it says in Isaiah 40, 10 through 11. It says, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. So the biblical picture, right? We saw what Jesus said about this, the sheep and shepherd and and gay, stuff like that. We're going to look at that in a minute. But we see from the background that the Old Testament is filled with these images of a shepherd. And it tells us that God is the true shepherd. And not only is God the shepherd of his flock, Israel, we see that this ends up becoming a picture of good leaders in the Old Testament as well. In fact, both David and Moses were quite literal shepherds. And so Jesus uses this vocation of shepherding, something that we've all been familiar with, to explain who he is and what he has come to do. You see, the sheep pen, I'm sure you've seen explanations before, was just like a a brick or stone, not brick, but a stone enclosure in the middle of the pasture, and there'd just be one door, and the shepherd or gatekeeper would lie across, and the uh, the sheep would have to go in and out through them. And so the the sheep pen was a place of security and safety. See, the shepherd would travel around with the sheep, take them to new pastures, take them to the water. But when it was time for rest, when it was time to wind down, they would put them in this pen to stop them from being attacked, stop people from stealing them with only one way in and one way out. So this sheep pen is a picture of rest, a a picture of protection, safety, security. And what's interesting about these sheep pens is there could be multiple different people's sheep in the pen. It could just, you know, they didn't have fences and things like we have today. So a lot of people would use that same one. And a shepherd could go by and call out or play a tune and his sheep would follow. They would separate themselves and follow their shepherd. So it speaks about the closeness and the intimate type of relationship the shepherd had with the sheep. When we think of shepherds, we probably don't think about that. We think of dogs nowadays and, and things like that. But back then it was so intimate. It was such a close relationship. And Jesus uses that picture to describe the intimate type of relationship that he wants with you. I'll I'll show you that in a minute. But what we have to understand is Jesus, God, isn't some distant, unloving God who doesn't care, who's absent from your life, who's not worried about what you got going on. No, no, no. Jesus says, no, no, it's very different. I know your name. I know what you're going through. I can call you out and I want to lead you. He's very intimate and he cares very deeply for us. But the thing about intimacy and Jesus having an intimate relationship with you, it's a two-way street, isn't it? Because if he's going to call you, you have to hear his voice. you got to know his voice. you got to be ready to listen for his voice. So Jesus desires this close relationship with you. And it's one, of these, it's one of the great theological paradoxes that we've talked about before. We have God's sovereignty that he knows us and he loves us and he calls us. But then we see this human responsibility to answer that call and follow that call and allow him to lead us. So we see that in this text, this great paradox between it, but they both work. And so it's our responsibility not to be God, but it's our responsibility to listen for the shepherd's voice. To draw closer to him, knowing he'll draw closer to us. Remember what we learned from James, our study in James? James 4.8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. We draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. That's a promise made to us. And Christmas reminds us that God has already come to 
us. The incarnation is Jesus wrapping himself, God himself coming down in human flesh so we can know and experience God. And some of you just need to be reminded, we don't have an unloving, distant God who doesn't care. The exact opposite is true. We have a God who cares about you, who knows your name, who loves you and desires a close, intimate relationship with you. So this type of life we're going to learn about, this fulfilled, abundant life, comes through knowing Jesus on an intimate level, through truly knowing him, truly experiencing him. Look at verse 6. It says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now, they should have probably understood Because throughout the Old Testament, there's plenty of pictures of God being the shepherd, and they understand what leaders mean. They got all of that. They probably don't want to know. But Jesus expounds the next couple of verses we're going to look at. Now, what's important to understand, because this section's messed me up a lot. I don't know if you've read through it before, but it doesn't seem to make logical sense. It starts to kind of break down. But uh, New Testament scholar D.A. Carson really helps us with this. He says the key to the next section is understanding that this isn't an explanation This next section isn't an explanation of the first five verses, but rather it's an expansion of the metaphors. Jesus is going to keep using these metaphors to explain who he is and what he's doing. He's weaving in and out of the shepherd illustration. So don't think of it as a logical explanation, like here's the first five verses, Jesus is explaining out. He does that sometimes, like the parable of the soils. This is Jesus uses this illustration, they don't get it, so he starts using other metaphors, the same type, to explain who he is and what he's doing. Verse 7, we learn that Jesus wants to give you a, a fulfilled life. Follow this with me, 7 through 10. It says, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever's entered through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So now we see Jesus is the gate. He's the one who provides security and safety. He lays down. You have to come in or out through him. That's the only way to get to the sheep. In fact, he says he's the one who saves us. See, safety and security... We're going to get to it, but how, what, what do you trust in for safety and security? That job, that bank account, those stocks, that house, that land, that new thing. What do you trust in? This is what Jesus is getting at. He is safety and security. And through him we can find green pastures. Through him we can have an abundant, full life. The old translations say that. They say an abundant life, and that's what Jesus is offering. He's offering to you and to me this abundant life. That word can be translated exceedingly or beyond or that which goes way beyond necessary. How many of you want a life that goes way beyond necessary? Not just your basic needs. And first you're like, oh, this is American dream. It's absolutely not the American dream. We've talked about that enough. Do you know that's not what I'm saying? Sometimes when you're the poorest, you have the richest spiritual life, don't you? Sometimes that money gets in the way, doesn't it? We already know these things. So Jesus says, no, you want to find true life, it's through me. You want abundant, joy-filled, great life, it's found through me. As we saw in the book of James, there's only two ways to live. You see the wisdom of the world or the wisdom from God. 
John the Apostle calls it light and darkness. Jesus is using the same thing here. All biblical writers talk about it. There's two ways to live. Not three, not four, not different philosophies. There's the things of this world, which are a lot. Or there's things of Christ. There's the biblical worldview about who he is and what God has done. And so the biblical worldview says that Jesus is the one who wants to give us safety and security. Jesus wants to save us. All those things opposite of Jesus, and the list could go on and on and on, but all those other things that try to fulfill, those other things that guarantee you a great life or a good life or the new infomercial for $39.95, just five easy payments, right? You've seen those? They're not going to work, and they're going to break. You know that. Before you're done with payments, it's going to break. It happens all the time. But Jesus says, I'm the one who wants to give you this full, satisfying life, this abundant life. You see, Jesus wants to save you. And sometimes that's where our faith stops. We think that our faith is just good for what happens later, what happens after we die. But Jesus says, ah, they can be saved. Yeah, we're good. We, we know salvation. We want to go to heaven. We want to be with God. He says, but I've come to do so much more than just get you into heaven. So much more. He says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. He wants to do so much more in your life. He wants you to be his disciple, his follower. You see, because Jesus wants to be your leader. Jesus wants to be your leader. John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. That one we just read about earlier, he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd who knows his sheep, who calls his sheep, who leads them. He is the one who wants to guide you to these overflowing pastures. Jesus is that shepherd that the Old Testament was pointing to, that shepherd who was going to come, how those other kings, they did an okay job, but now we have the true king who does the greatest job. You see, Jesus desires and wants to be your true leader. He wants to be your leader. And as our leader, he calls us and invites us into a relationship, that closeness, right? We talked about this discipling relationship where we can learn from him, where we can be guided from him, because that's what discipleship's all about, growing in an intimate relationship with God himself. And Jesus, our good shepherd, wants something for you. He doesn't need anything from you. So following him, we follow him because we know he wants something for you us, an abundant, overflowing life. You see, Jesus is able to leave because he's the only one who knows where we're going. He's the one who's already set the course and the direction. He made the whole thing. He'll never leave us and abandon us. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock scatters, and the flock scatters it. The man runs because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. You see, sometimes in life, you feel like you're being attacked by wolves. And I bet a lot of times you thought those things or that job or that security or that house or that whatever, you thought it would provide that safety and security that you were looking for, but it didn't work out, did it? And those hired hands I like to think of as anything that we think 
It's really things, people who want things from us or things who want something from us. Remember, Jesus wants, doesn't need anything from us. He wants something for us. It's very different. But these hired hands want things from us, not something for us. There are people who are just trying to lead and guide to get something for you. Like every politician. If you're a politician, I'm sorry, but it's true. What do they want from you? Your vote. You didn't know that? I'm glad you're here today. I just want to let you know. They will say absolutely anything you want to hear for what? A vote. That's what they're doing. The whole system stuff. They just want your vote. That's what they're doing. Jesus doesn't need your vote. He's already God. Doesn't need anything from you at all. He wants something for you. Remember, the shepherd's job was to protect. The desert is a hostile place. He's already described these thieves and these robbers. He's described these wolf attacks, these people who are trying to steal. Nothing else has the best intentions for you. Only Jesus does because this world is full of danger. You say, well, Brian, I know that, but how, how do I know I can trust Jesus? How do I know he's really there for me? Because life is hard, life is difficult. The things he asked me to do, I really don't want to do. So how do I know that Jesus really is for me in this relationship, in this job, in this career, in this next step. How do I know, Brian, that he's really got me? Well, he tells us the next verse. Look, he says, the reason the Father loves me is that I laid down my life. Do you know Jesus died for you? How do you know you can trust him? Because he needed nothing from you and yet gave you everything. Who do you know has done that? Nobody. He's given you everything. He says, I lay my life down only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. He did this for us. He says, I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Jesus has gone to great lengths to show you and I. He wants nothing from us but only something for us. And it cost him a bloody death on a cross. The payment for our sins. And through that demonstration of love, we need to understand what he wants and who he is. Paul sums it up this way. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. While we were completely opposed to God, before you did anything good for God, before you took a step, you took a thought, he already died for you and demonstrated how much he loves you by giving up his life and taking your place. See, one scholar brings these ideas together. He says, if we remain under his leadership, if we recognize his voice, we will find safety and flourish. Is your life flourishing? Does it feel like it? Does it feel overflowing? You see, God doesn't need anything but wants many things for you. He wants you to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. He wants to be your true leader, your true source, the one you look towards, the one who guides you, the one that directs you, the one that leads you through all your difficulties. And so I ask, what's stopping you from living a life for Jesus Christ? What's stopping you from going all in? What's holding you back from truly trusting him with all that you got, that one error that you just say, God, it's off limits. What's stopping you from going, all right, Lord, here it is. I trust you. I want to follow you. And I know for a fact that some of you are experiencing a great life in Christ. You're experiencing and enjoying daily. Every day you're learning more and more what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You tell me about it, and I'm so excited for you. I see so many people stepping out and growing in faith. It's great to be a part of a church where life change is happening all the time. I hear the stories, and it's so exciting. I've 
helped many of you. We've walked through these discipleship groups where you've learned what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We've had small groups launch out of that. We've had other ministries launch out of that. We've seen many people take their next step of faith, giving their life to Jesus Christ or coming forward to be a part of our church, saying, hey, we're committed to what's going on here. We've seen people take their next step of faith in baptism, publicly declaring it. We've seen so many people learning what it means to dedicate their life to Jesus, to to start living this abundant life, to start saying no to the things of this world and say yes to the things of Jesus. We've seen so much of that, and we want to continue to see it, and it comes through Jesus Christ, knowing him and experiencing him and having that intimacy with him. And the one thing I want to speak about for a minute, because it really concerns me, I've talked about it a lot, but I'm going to be a little bit more direct today, so I love you. I've learned in the South, before, when, before you say something hard, you say, I love you. Did y'all know that? And that makes everything else I say okay. Is that how that works? No matter what I say next, I said I love you, so that's just how it works, right? When it comes to this abundant life, I beg you, please teach this to your kids and to your grandkids. Please teach them that an abundant, overflowing, prosperous life only comes through Jesus Christ. That they have to put God first. Please teach your kids and your grandkids what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There are so many things in this world that are selling your kids and selling you these empty promises that will not fulfill, that will not satisfy. And listen, I have kids. I get it. I I am with you on the sports stuff, right? I'm I'm with you there. I have three kids who want to do everything. Anybody have three kids who want to do everything? Yeah, me too. I get it. They want to do absolutely everything. We go to guitar lessons, piano lessons, baseball, soccer, and now they're in jujitsu, which is an everyday, all-year type of thing. I mean, there's no break. Y'all ever got involved in one of those sports and said, oops? Every day, all day. I mean, it never stops. There's no like two months and then it's over. No, this is an all day type of thing. So I I get the sports thing. And my kids, you know, they go to Conway Christian. They're in private school. They have 7,000 hours of homework. I have no idea what they do during the day. None at all. I don't think they do anything because they come home and they have all this homework. I don't, I have no idea what they do during the day. My point is I get you on the academic stuff too. I get it. I get the sports stuff. I get the academics. I mean, we care about those things. They can be good things. But listen, if you're not teaching them that Jesus Christ is the most important thing in their life, you are failing as a parent. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. You have to teach them that those things will not fulfill. Those things will not satisfy. They will end that Jesus must be their priority. Teach them now what it means to deny yourself for Jesus Christ, which teach them now to say no to things in order to say yes to Jesus. It's not something anybody's going to do later in life when they've been taught their whole life that the world revolves around them. Let me repeat that. When you teach your kids that everything revolves around them, they're never going to learn to say no. Teach them now what it means to say yes to Jesus and no to other things. It's easier now. Teach them now to give up their lives for the glory of God. He comes first. Teach them now that only through God will they experience an abundant life. It's far easier to teach them now than to teach them when they're adults. Say, Brian, how do you know you don't have adult kids? Because I deal with adults all the time. 
And I'm telling you, it's far easier to teach them when they're young than when they're already grown up and they think they got it all figured out. Have you thought about that you were teaching your kids by what you do with your priorities? They're watching you. They're seeing you. And you're teaching them what's first, the most important things. Remember, we no longer live, and we probably haven't for a while, but we no longer live in a society where culture is helping us teach our children how to do the things of God. That, that's gone. It has to come through the family. It should have always come through the family. But we have to be intentional about teaching them the things of God and how to live for Christ. Now, here are some ideas I just want to share with you what we're doing as a family. And listen, I'm not saying you need to do the same thing as me. You're a grown-up. You can work this out with your own family. I'm just giving you ideas that we've come up with to make sure that we teach our kids that Christ is first. For us, we say no to absolutely anything that interferes with Sunday mornings. You say, well, that's just because you're a pastor. No, it's not. We did this before I was a pastor. You see, Jessica grew up playing travel soccer. So we have that. She, she has a whole experience. She could tell you about what it looks like to play travel soccer and the demands. And do you know they never stop? They just, the older you get, they get what? More. Did y'all know that? You probably already did. But so we, she already experienced it. We've already been through that. She's the athlete in our family, though I'm faster. Make sure to tell her you heard I was faster. She'll appreciate that. She did. We raced once. She doesn't remember, but I beat her. But anyways, we'll move on. But she knows from her experience, we know that stuff will not satisfy your life. It will not fulfill your life, and it will come to an end. She knows the spiritual elements she missed out on. She experienced it. She knows what she missed by doing that. So we made a decision for us. No, nothing that takes place on Sundays, we can't be a part of it. And this was before I was a pastor. We agreed about this. And this is what I'm asking you to do as a family. Think about things before they come up. Set your limits. Set your guardrails. What are you going to say no to? What's okay? What's not okay? Because doing it in the moment when your kids look at you begging you to do something and you don't have boundaries, it's going to be hard to say no, isn't it? You see, we wanted to teach our kid that worship is a priority. And maybe there's other ways to do it. Go for it. But I'm just telling you what we've done. And forgiving, we teach our kids to give. Every dollar they get, they, I mean, every dollar they have to tithe back 10%. So if you send my kid a birthday card with 10 bucks, a dollar goes back to the church. So you do that with birthday money? Yep. Any money they get, absolutely any money. So Brian, now listen, I lived a life of greed. Y'all ever done that? Y'all ever seen what greed produces? I have. Guess what I don't want for my kids? That. So because I experienced a life of greed, because I experienced a life of selfishness, one thing I guard against very strongly is my kids giving. I say, look, guys, you, this is what we do. And now they get excited about it. I mean, they're exciting. And I've met some adults here who tell me that their family did that for them. And they get excited about giving. Like it, it, It's amazing. I remember when I was a late teenager, early 20s, and I started tithing. Do you know how hard that is? When you just learn, now I'm an adult, and I got to pay these bills, and I got to live on my own, and now I got to start giving 10. Whew. I didn't make a lot of money, but boy, it felt like a lot of money. It was hard, so I teach them now that this is just what we do. You set your bills up this way. You set up your finances this way. This is just something you do as Christian. Even if you don't do it, this is for you. Teach them to do it. Set them up for success. Teach them this is what Christians are supposed to do. And so for you, 
Work out things in your life. We could give other examples, but these are things that are really important to us. I just asked you, as parents, have you actually thought about what you're teaching your kids? Have you actually thought about what kind of life you want for them? Because Jesus says here, I will give you an abundant life in me. And do you believe it actually comes through him? What's willing to get in the way of that? And listen, guys, I don't know how my kids are going to turn out. It's their responsibility to vote their life to Jesus Christ. That's not on me. I can't make them do anything. But as a parent, I'm going to do my absolutely best at setting them up for success. I'm going to teach them what I know. And I'm going to point them to Jesus because he knows far more than me. Because I can't tell you, here's what I do know. I can't tell you how many parents have sat in my office telling me they wish they could go back. They wish they could do things differently. And I've learned from them, and you can learn. Point your kids, point your grandkids to the abundant life found in Jesus Christ. He is the only thing that will satisfy them in this world. The rest will crumble and fade. You know that. Here's the type of life God wants for you. Here's the type of life God wants for your child. It's found right here. You know this, Psalm 23. If you don't, I suggest you memorize it. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. How many of you need that this morning? He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what God wants for you. Is that your prayer? Maybe your prayer needs to be, God, I want to be here. This is what I want. This is what I need. This other stuff I know doesn't work. The satisfaction's not there. It doesn't work. This... Maybe this needs to be your prayer. Maybe you just need to commit to reading that. Maybe you don't know that. Read it every day this week. But this Christmas season reminds us that God does have things on his wish list for you. He wants you to have an abundant life in him. He wants you to experience an amazing life in Christ. This Christ who came to be our good shepherd. Who wants an intimate relationship with you. Who wants to lead you and will lead you to a life an overflowing life in him. So what's stopping you? What are you trusting in? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our good shepherd. Father, we know that our priorities are constantly being challenged. There are so many things in this world that try to sell us what it looks like to live a great life. There's so many things selling our children and our grandchildren what it means to have a good life. Father, we humbly confess we stray from you often. We always don't make the right choices. We often think we know what's best and somehow we're going to be the exception. Father, we humbly confess we need you. We need you. Father, show show us in our life where it is in our life that we're trusting in the wrong things. Father, 
we know and confess that abundant, overflowing, safe, and secure life only comes through Jesus. Thank you for coming to us. Thank you for protecting us and guiding us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.